I want you to take your Bible tonight because in a season that we are in, I want us to go back to the basics. And I want you to turn tonight to the, mo the, the favorite chapter in all the Bible. Now, I'm curious to know how, where you would turn if I said that. Because you know everybody has a favorite verse, but do you realize people have a favorite chapter? Now, I won't tell you what the second favorite chapter in the Bible is. It's 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. But the favorite chapter in the Bible is Psalm 23. And I want you to turn there with me tonight. And I want you to leave your Bible open because tonight I'm not going to preach a sermon. You know, sometimes preachers use a purse of scripture kind of like a star-spangled banner at a football game. It's all saluted at the beginning and never referred to again. But I want tonight, want to walk you through Psalm 23 in a way that probably you have never realized before and ask God tonight to use it to speak to us and to comfort our hearts. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Almost all of us who are here tonight probably have read and learned Psalm 23 from the old King James Version. Now, we're not going to have it on the screen tonight, but you probably know it well enough that you can at least be familiar enough to do this with me tonight. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to stand, and I want you to read out loud with me Psalm 23. I want us all to say it together tonight, and we'll use that old King James Version. You'll know it enough, and I'll kind of lead us through it. But let's together read our text together. It's the 23rd Psalm, beginning at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters." He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, speak to us tonight loudly and clearly through your word, for we're asking it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Bible scholars believe that Psalm 23 was composed in the latter years of King David's life. And I wonder if David may have sat down to write this Psalm and he reflected on his relationship with the Lord and he thought, how can I convey this relationship? You see, David could have wrote about a king and his subjects because he had been a king. He could have written about a warrior and how God helped him through the battles, but his mind went back to those days as a young shepherd boy, and he wrote about the relationship a shepherd has with his sheep. And out of thinking on that experience, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the 23rd Psalm. Now, Psalm 23 is written in a very unique pattern. The closest we have in our day is what is called journalistic writing. 
If you go home tonight and you do get a newspaper or if you read a news article, and I don't mean where someone's giving an opinion, but where something is being reported, I want you to notice something about the article you may have never noticed before. You see, when someone writes a journalistic article, they will tell you everything you need to know in the first two or three paragraphs. What happened, where it happened, what was involved, and so forth. Usually beginning in about the fourth paragraph, there's just commentary where they're quoting people and maybe giving some background facts to what they've already told you in the first two or three paragraphs. That's called journalistic writing. And the reason it is written that way is because, especially in newspaper articles, the editor has to have the ability to stop the article at any point. So they can chop it off at any point, and you still have the essence of everything you need to know. Well, that's the way David wrote the 23rd Psalm. In verse 1, he tells you everything you need to know. And beginning in verse 2, he is just giving you a commentary on what he has said in verse 1. Now, notice what he said. He wants us to know he is our shepherd. He has marked us as his own. In the days of David, as a young shepherd boy, there was a custom, archaeologists tell us, on how shepherds marked their sheep. You see, you can't brand a sheep like you do cattle. So how would each shepherd know if a sheep belonged to him? Or if another shepherd found the sheep that wasn't his, how would he know the owner? So it was a practice in those days that they would mark their sheep by finding a place on either the right ear or the left ear when they were a little lamb, and they would take a knife and they would just kind of cut out just a little bit of the ear. So if a shepherd found a sheep and he didn't think it was his, he could rub the ears of the little lamb or the sheep and immediately know the owner of that sheep. In other words, the shepherd marked his sheep as his own. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he is saying that God has marked you as his own. You belong to him and you're marked by him. And because he is a good shepherd, he will meet every need you will ever have. The phrase, I shall not want, means everything you need, not what you want, but everything you need, your good shepherd is going to provide it for you. And then beginning in verse 2, he talks about the four basic needs that people have and how the shepherd meets those four basic needs. First, we have physical needs. Now, for humans, we could say that physical needs is food and water and shelter. But sheep did not need shelter, but they did need food and they did need water. So notice what he said in verse 2. He said that he leads me by the still waters and we lie down in green 
pastors. Now, both of those are important because he's not just providing for their need, but he is providing their need in just the way they need it. For example, do you know that in the days of David, and if you've ever seen pictures of the Holy Land, if you haven't been there, you know there's very little vegetation. And so a shepherd had to look for places to graze his sheep. And with the seasons, you could graze here for a time, but then maybe the grass would begin to die or maybe the sheep had completely grazed it down to the ground. So the shepherd would have to find another place to graze his sheep. Consequently, the shepherd we have is always going to take us to the green pastures. He's always going to care for us when we need it and how we need it. Now, let me show you the how. He also leads beside still waters. Do you know sheep will not drink from moving water? If a stream is flowing, for whatever reason, it frightens them. If it is a creek or a river and it's flowing, it frightens them. They will not drink from moving water. So David said, our good shepherd knows our fears and our needs and he leads us by the still waters, giving us exactly what we need and in just the way we need it. Then in verse 3, he takes us to show that he also meets all of our emotional needs. Now, I find it interesting in Psalm 23 that David devotes most of his time in this psalm to our emotional needs. And at first I wondered why, but I can tell you as a traveling preacher today that the greatest need we have are emotional needs. Whether we're discouraged or afraid or uncertain, whatever those emotional needs are, our Heavenly Father can meet those needs. Now, if I didn't say it earlier, let me tell you, every phrase David used in Psalm 23, when you do the research from an archaeological perspective and historical perspective, every phrase he uses was a phrase that was commonly used among shepherds of that day. So look at the very first phrase he says in verse 3. He restoreth my soul. Now, to us, that may not seem very deep, but let me tell you what that meant to a sheep and the terminology of a shepherd. Do you know when sheep get a lot of wool and it gets very heavy, uh, especially if they get wet, that the sheep can fall and the weight of the wool can prevent them from getting up? You know, most people think that old commercial, you remember the old commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up? Well, that originated with sheep in the Old Testament because literally when a lamb or a sheep fell heavy with wool, especially if they were wet, it was impossible to get up. Only the shepherd could pick them up and put them back on their four feet. And you may be interested to know that those sheep that had fallen, and even in New Zealand, they still use this terminology, when a sheep has fallen and is unable to get up, 
they refer to that sheep as a cast sheep. So if you go to New Zealand today where they have modern walkie-talkies and all that, they can sometimes say, especially right before the sheep are to be sheared, they'll say, well, we've got a cast sheep or some cast sheep in a certain field. And it means sheep that have fallen and because of the weight of the wool, they cannot get up. That's why in another Psalm, David said, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Referring to those times when you get so discouraged that you feel like you cannot get up and face another day. You feel like tomorrow is going to be worse than today. Well, in those times, if you would just spend time with the shepherd, you would find that he will pick you up, put you back with hope in your heart, and in doing so, he has restored your soul. Now, that's the first phrase he says. Now, notice what the next one is. In verse 3, he says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I said a moment ago that every shepherd had to lead his sheep to a place to graze. But in those days, there were two kinds of people who looked after sheep. There were shepherds who cared for their sheep, usually owned or had an interest in the sheep, and then there were hirelings. You remember Jesus referred to hirelings in the New Testament. A hireling was someone who was paid to look after the sheep, but he did not care about the sheep. But a shepherd cared for the sheep. And one of the ways you could spot a shepherd from a hireling as how they led the sheep, and here's why. You see, as they constantly had to move between grazing and to water, a good shepherd always took the sheep a different route. But a hireling who didn't care would always take them the same way. Why is that important? Well, even if you have cattle, you know that you can have a big pasture, but cows will always walk the same path to the barn. But if you'll ever look even in a cow pasture, you'll notice in that path where they keep walking, the grass is trampled down, it is muddy, and is almost always uh, wet. Well, the same was true with the sheep. But here's the problem. Sheep have very, very sensitive little hooves. So if you take sheep and you walk them over the same ground every day from pasture to water to pasture to water over the same ground in that little area of mud and all of the things on that path, fungus will begin to grow. And before long, those diseases and that fungus will attach itself to the little hooves of the sheep. And consequently, they will get infected and die. But a good shepherd always led his sheep a different path to prevent the disease. And believe it or not, some historians have found that they often use spiritual terminology to refer to that taking a different path, and it was called leading in a path of righteousness, meaning leading in a path for what was right and best for the sheep. So that terminology leading us in paths of righteousness is showing that our Heavenly Father cares for us enough 
that he will always lead us in what is best for us, not for what will harm us, even though it may be unfamiliar to us. But then notice the next phrase, that picture that he uses. He said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, you may be surprised, but if you were to go tonight and you were to research and read everything you can on Psalms 23, you would find that there is a great debate about this verse. And here's the debate. Some archaeologists say that David was referring to a literal place near Bethlehem, his childhood home. There are others who were saying, no, it's just, you know, a, a word picture that he's given. So there's been books written, is it literal or is it just a word picture? Well, I'm not a genius, but I'm going to solve that for us tonight. I think it's both. I think it is a literal place that David used as a word picture to help us understand when we face death, why we should not have fear in our heart. You see near where David lived, there was a place because as winter would come, they would often take sheep to the top of the mountains to graze. But as winter become and it become cooler, those mountaintops would pretty soon start to brown over. So they would have to take the sheep into a low valley to find grazing. And one of the places in a deep valley near where David lived, where you could almost always find grazing, was at the bottom of this, of this literally this, this valley, this cliff. But to get the sheep into the valley was quite a challenge. Because you see, you had to walk along a footpath down into the depths of that valley. But that posed a problem. Because the shepherd had to lead the sheep because the sheep follow the shepherd. So the shepherd discovered as they were walking the sheep that sometimes maybe a sheep looked away or stumbled and they would fall off the cliff to their death. But there was a problem. If one sheep fell, it would startle the next sheep and that sheep would fall. And uh, literally, a shepherd could lose a lot of sheep falling into this valley that was causing death. So you know what they tell us shepherd did in that day? They said the shepherds, as they would start down that path in the winter, that they would not walk. But equivalent to what we would do, we would call it a jog. But they would begin to jog, which would make the sheep move faster. And as they would run down into that valley, if a sheep slipped and fell, the next sheep was passed before he realized what had happened. And as a result, they lost fewer sheep. So that's why your Bible says, yea, though I run through the valley. Your Bible doesn't say that? probably bought your Bible on sale at the local bookstore, didn't you? Now you know why. Right there, it is, right? Yea, though I run through the valley? No. Yea, though I walk through the valley. So if it was their practice to run, why did David say walk? Because David knew, listen carefully, our shepherd never loses any of his sheep. 
that once we know the shepherd, no matter how hard we may try, we are secure eternally in him, which means that my salvation is not dependent upon what the other sheep do. My salvation is not dependent on whether I slip and fall. My salvation is secure because our shepherd never loses any of his sheep. Then he says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, if you saw a shepherd in those days who would have to leave home and often go a long way to tend to the sheep and had to stay with them at night and so forth, a shepherd would have had three things. He would have had his food to eat, sandwich, whatever. He would have a rod and he would have a staff. Now, a staff is something we know what that is. Because you know at Christmas, when we have a Christmas play and the kids come and they play the role of the shepherds, you know what they all have? They have a walking stick, right? Uh, That was a a staff. It was long, crooked on the end. And a shepherd could use that to pull sheep from a thicket. He could literally wrap that around and pull them towards him. But what you never see at Christmas is a kid with a rod, But David said, thy rod and the staff. A rod was as important as a staff. Now, let me tell you what a rod was. A rod was a stick that every young shepherd boy would actually start maybe whittling on or working with when he was very young. And he would use that stick, much like a billy club, to fight wild animals. And they would be so good at it that they could literally meet a bear or a lion or other things and literally kill that bear and that lion. That's why you read about that in the Old Testament. It's not unusual. They were perfecting the art of hand-to-hand comeback using that stick. Now, that lingo has gotten into our culture because sometimes we will say when someone has a gun, they're packing a rod. It is a weapon. So you got to remember that our good shepherd is not only carrying a staff to pull us back in line, but I got news for you. Our shepherd's packing tonight. (laughs) Our shepherd is packing to protect us. And he is so good with his rod that no enemy formed against us can prosper. There is nothing, there is nothing that can come against us as a believer, as a church, no matter if it's COVID or anything, there's nothing that our shepherd can handle. That's why the next phrase says, he prepares the table before, uh, in the presence of our enemies. Now, you know, the first time I read that, I, I kind of had this idea of nice restaurant, tablecloth, four chairs, and Everybody who hates you standing outside just angry and mad because they don't get to eat what you're eating. It's not the idea here. The word that is translated in the presence of our enemies and is really referring to a mountaintop. You know, that area in the summer where they would graze. Because you see, the wild animals would go to those mountaintops and they would watch from a distance the sheep. And they would try to catch the shepherd distracted or try to find a little lamb that was wandering away so that they could attack it and kill it. 
But literally what David says, our shepherd is so alert, so on his guard, that we can literally wander in the very sight of our enemy, and he cannot destroy us. Because he has prepared for us this tabletop, that's the reference, the tabletop of a mountain in the presence of our enemies that while we're grazing, he's keeping watch night and day that no matter what happens, we're secure. Now think of all of those emotional needs. You're discouraged, he'll restore your soul. You're scared of death, hey, it's just a journey you're gonna walk with him, you'll close your eyes one moment, open them, you'll be in the presence of God. Maybe you need a little direction in your life. Whatever it is you need, maybe the fear that's happening in our culture today, let me, let me tell you, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of preaching about this COVID thing, just if I can pause for a moment to say this. And here's what I've heard a lot of people say, and it's biblically correct, it's not incorrect when they say this, but people say the best way to overcome fear is faith. And I get that, that's biblical. But I challenge you tonight, you know there's only one verse in the Bible that tells you there is something that will cast out fear? And it's not faith. Perfect love casts out fear. So what John said. I think in the context of Psalm 23, it means this. You spend more time with the shepherd. You fall in love with the shepherd. You get to know the shepherd. And the more you fall in love with the shepherd, the more the fear goes away when you fully understand the perfect love he has for you. But then there's a third kind of need we have, and it is a relational need. Now, what's the terminology that David uses when he says in verse 5, thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Now, two phrases, and I think both of them speak to relationships. Now, let me be fair to the text and tell you that there are many Bible commentators who believe the reference David has to anointing head with oil was the practice of shepherds of pouring oil on the head of a, of a sheep to keep flies and insects away, and that may be true. But I tend to think David has something different in mind, and I'll tell you why because of the second phrase, my cup runneth over. Now, he put those two phrases together, I think, because he's wanting us to understand how the shepherd meets our relational needs. And here's why I put those two together, in my mind, that that's what he means. You know, I reference shepherds often have to uh, travel a long way to care for the sheep. And it was very common that the shepherd would carry his sheep primarily to Jerusalem and to sell his sheep primarily to use, be used for sacrifice. And often when that shepherd is coming home from Jerusalem and traveling, it's a long way, so he's got to stop and he's got to spend the night. There wasn't a lot of motels and inns and things like that in that day. And most of the time, the shepherds, you know, they slept outside. But if they were traveling and the weather turned bad, they would need to find somewhere where they could sleep inside. So it was very custom in that day that a shepherd returning home would go up to just a random house and he would knock on the door and the people would come to the door. And here's what he would say. Do you mind if I come in and eat with you? Now, normally he had his own food. 
I just need a place of shelter. Can I eat with you? And it was customary to invite someone to come in and sit down in a place of shelter and to share a meal with you. They may bring their own food, but you would sit there and talk and you would fellowship. But watch this very carefully. What they would do is you knew the stranger wants to spend the night. But, you know, it just wasn't very nice for him to say, hey, can I spend the night? Just wasn't accepted. So the way you conveyed to a stranger in that day that they were welcome to spend the night was the last time you poured their drink, water, whatever it was, the last time you poured it, you intentionally poured too much where the cup ran over. And when it would run over onto the table, you were saying to them, it's okay for you to spend the night. And they would spend the night, but watch this, but the next morning when they left, if you wanted to convey to them that they were welcome in your home anytime, as they were going out the door, they always kept this ointment by the door and the people of the house would just tap their finger in it and they would anoint your head as you left. They were saying, you are welcome anytime, let's be friends. Now I want you to think about that. David, I think, put those two things together because he was conveying to us that our shepherd says, hey, let's have a relationship. Let's be friends like Abraham was called the friend of God. You are welcome any time. And do you know sometimes when we struggle with relationships, I have discovered if we'll work on the greatest relationship with all, our relationship with the Lord, then it helps us with all the other relationships in life. And David is saying, the good shepherd says, hey, you can not only share a meal, but you're welcome anytime. And then he gives us the fourth kind of need we have, and that is our spiritual needs. Now, you and I have two kinds of spiritual needs. We have the eternal spiritual need, that's the heaven and hell issue, and then we have the spiritual needs in the present, the here and now. Or, you know, it's kind of like the by and by and the here and now. Now, I want you to notice verse 6. He says he meets both our spiritual needs now and he speaks our spiritual needs in the future. Look at that verse again. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's here. That's now. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's heaven. We get the heaven part. So let me just for a moment set out on the first part because there is a wonderful word picture here. And if you forget everything else I say tonight, I promise you, you will never read verse 6 of Psalm 23 again that you will not remember what I'm about to tell you. It is the, one of the best word pictures in all the Bible. Now, for starters, let me define those two words, surely goodness and mercy. Goodness is an Old Testament word for grace. So literally what he said is, surely grace and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, do you know in the Bible, there is a difference between grace and mercy? We put those two words together, but they mean two totally different things. And I'm going to help you with their meaning, so listen carefully. 
grace. Grace is when God gives you something you do not deserve. Let me say that again. Grace is when God gives you something you do not deserve. Heaven, that's grace. Salvation, that's grace. Joy, peace, fruit of the Spirit, that's grace. God gives us something we do not deserve. Then what is mercy? Listen carefully. Mercy is when God does not give you what you do deserve. You see, grace gives me a home in heaven. Mercy kept me out of hell. You see, grace is when God gives me something I don't deserve, and mercy is when God does not give me what I do deserve. Now go back to that verse. Surely, grace, and mercy. Okay, here's the word picture. For many years, there had been a debate until, oh, probably in the last 20 or 30 years, when some archaeological digs confirmed what some people suspected. Do you know, even as early as David as a child, dogs were used in herding sheep. And here's the way dogs were used then and how they're used now. You see, the shepherd has to lead the sheep and go in front. So who's going to make sure the sheep get in line? Well, sometimes there were other shepherds and they helped. But if it was just one shepherd, he would often use dogs. And the dogs were trained to bring up the rear. And their job was to keep the sheep in line and together. So if a sheep wandered off, the dog went over here and barked and get it back in line. If there was a sheep over here that ran off, the dog would bark and get it back in line. Now here's the word picture. While you're following the good shepherd, he's got two dogs on your trail. You know what those dogs' names are? Grace and mercy. And as you're following the good shepherd, there are times you need the shepherd to give you something you don't deserve and grace comes running. There's other times when we sin and we need forgiveness and the shepherd makes sure that mercy comes running. So as you go through life, just remember, two dogs are on your trail, grace and mercy. Now, you'll never read that verse again that you won't think. I remember some preacher came down here one time and he was talking about this verse and he said that represented two dogs, grace and mercy. But it's a word picture you grasp. Now, did you hear what I shared with you tonight? I said, the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want because he meets all of our physical needs. He meets all of our emotional needs. He meets all of our relational needs. And he meets all of our spiritual needs. Several years ago, I read a story of a man, oh, probably now 75, 80 years ago, back in the early days of automobiles. And this man, <clears throat> uh, unexpectedly, had a relative to die and left him several millions of dollars. A lot of money. Well, he never had a lot of money, and he thought, wow, now I can buy things that I've never had before. And, you know, you kind of want to show off when you suddenly come into money. So he started thinking, what can I buy that would let all of my friends know I'm rich now? I'm a millionaire. So he started thinking about it, and he got to thinking about cars. And he read about a car called a Rolls Royce. 
And he discovered that nobody he knew had one. And he discovered it is a very expensive car. So he decided he would buy one to prove to everybody he was one of the richest people in that part of the country. So the day came when he got his Rolls Royce and he started driving around town, letting everybody see he was wealthy. And everybody oohed and awed. They had never seen one of those cars. So he went to see one of his friends who was what we'd call a shade tree mechanic. He said, man, I want you to look at this piece of machinery. The guy's like, man, I've never seen a car like that. And they was ooing and aahing and they looked at the motor and the guy said, I've never seen an engine like this. This is just incredible. This is an awesome car. And then he looked at the guy and the guy was talking about how fast it was going. That was in the day when cars didn't go very fast. He said, man, this is unreal. He said, tell me, what is the horsepower of this car? And the guy who bought the car said, I don't know. He said, well, man, you got to know. I mean, this is not your normal engine, and they don't make engines like this. This is incredible. I need to know what, what is the horsepower of this car? So he said, well, let's maybe look through some of the paperwork, and they did, and nothing talked about the engine or the horsepower of the car. So the guy said, well, get in. We'll just take a trip. We'll go find that fellow I bought it from. And they found that fellow, and they said, well, my friend here, he wants to know more about the motor. What's the horsepower of this motor? He said, uh, I, I don't know. He said, well, go find your boss or somebody. He said, well, I can go find him, but he don't know either. He said, why? And at that time, he said, it was the practice among car manufacturers that they didn't reveal a lot of stuff about their engines because they didn't want their competition to steal it. And he said, it has been the policy of Rolls-Royce not to reveal the horsepower of their engines. So, sir, nobody knows. Well, I infuriated the guy. I bought it. It's my car. I have a right to know. So he got him a lawyer, and he just started making this scene. And finally, finally, the word came from across the seas that the, the, the leaders of Rolls-Royce had agreed on a certain day to tell that man the horsepower of his new car. Well, now it's newsworthy. The press was there. Everybody showed up on this day. Nobody had ever known the horsepower of a Rolls Royce, but right on time, the telegram came, and the man said, ladies and gentlemen, I have received the telegram, and in my hand is the answer to the question we've all been waiting for, what is the horsepower of this engine? And with that, he opened the envelope, and he pulled out a piece of paper, and he unfolded it. And the telegram was only one word, adequate. <laughs> I want you to think about that. Can God do this? He's adequate. Can God handle this? He's adequate. What I need right now in my life He's adequate. Say that first verse with me one more time and see if it doesn't take on new meaning for you now. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You bow your heads with me, please. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. 
You know, in coming tonight, I, I just wanted to share a message of encouragement. And I have to tell you, there's not really been a passage of Scripture that has meant more to me in these last few months than Psalm 23. And tonight I have just really unpacked it with a lot of just explaining phrase by phrase, not a lot of personal illustrations or stories, but just simply relating what the text says and asking the Holy Spirit to take what the Word says and the truth of that Word and to apply it right where you are. Is there a physical need tonight? The shepherd's adequate. Are there some emotional needs in your life? You're discouraged, you're afraid, uncertain of your job, what's going to happen with COVID? The shepherd's adequate. Are there some relational needs tonight? The shepherd's adequate. Are there some spiritual needs tonight? The shepherd's adequate. Whatever you need tonight, the shepherd is adequate. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So tonight, maybe you don't know him. Tonight's the perfect night to meet him, to give your heart and your life to him, and tonight to meet him for the first time. Maybe tonight you're a Christian. Maybe you've wandered a little way from the shepherd. Oh, we go through the forms of coming to church and giving, but, but you know in your heart in this time, you've, the fear and all of those things have just kind of overtaken you. And maybe tonight you realize that what you really need is just to draw closer to the shepherd and fall in love with the shepherd all over again and to see his perfect love for you. And if you draw close to him, you see that perfect love. Believe me, fear goes away. So whatever it is you need tonight, he's adequate. Father, would you speak to hearts tonight? And just during this time, it's not coming forward, but Lord, would you just for a moment allow the Holy Spirit to take the truths of your word tonight and to just adequately speak to every one of us? And I'm going to thank you and I'm going to praise you for that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's a great word. He's adequate. And right now, he's adequate. <clears throat> he's, he's all that you need. I thought about his, if it was talking about that, I thought about where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he says, I am that good shepherd. And that's why he's adequate, because he did for you what you can't do for you when he laid down his life. And maybe tonight, as Phil has shared that, maybe in your heart you've recognized your need for the good shepherd. He's done all the work. All you have to do is take advantage of it, of his adequacy. You see, where you weren't adequate, he is adequate. And so, in this place tonight, or whether you're joining us by live stream, let me tell you how you can respond. If tonight you say, I need the adequacy of the good shepherd, why don't you call on him? 
right now from your heart. Pray a prayer that goes something like this. Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that you love me. I know that you died for my sins. And I invite you to come in and be my shepherd, my Savior. Now, I promise you, if you'll call on him, he will hear that. How can I say that? Well, because of what he's already said. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord might be saved. No, he didn't say might be. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be. Definitive fact will be saved. And so if you echoed that prayer from your heart tonight, joining us by live stream or in this place, let me just tell you how you can let us know because we want to help you get moving in the right direction. We want you to be able to take the next kind of steps. You can text to us this word. Text the word PASTOR, P-A-S-T-O-R, uh, to this number, 334-384-8080. Online, by live stream, in this place, you can text that or text the word a pastor to this email address, decision at rbcdothan.org. And you just say um, pastor. We'll know what that means, and we'll help take it from there, all right? You may be here tonight and say, I'd like to join this fellowship. I need a church home. Or, or you may be joining us again by live stream. It's been remarkable. We have been amazed at how many people have joined our congregation. I can't wait till all of this stuff passes and we can all come together uh, in a big assembly again. And you're going to see a lot of faces of people you've never seen before <laughs> who have become a part of the Ridgecrest family over the last uh, three or four months. People that have been saved, who prayed that prayer that I just talked about. And people have made fresh decisions for God. And so let us know about your decision. And if you, again, would like to become a member of this congregation, we'll take care of it. You just text that word, join, join, J-O-I-N, to us at 334-384-8080. Uh, I sound like... Uh, one of those commercials. But wait, there's more. <laughs> uh, I've learned that number. and uh, But we want you to use it and take advantage of it. We'd like to help you in your walk with the Lord. Thank you for being a part by live stream this evening. Thank you, Ridgecrest, for coming out tonight and being a part of this. Thank you, Brother Phil, for coming and blessing us one more time with the Word of God. And Debbie, thank you for getting him down here safely, okay? Would you too, would y'all come this way? Debbie, would you come this way? Phil, come this way, if you will. I want us to bless you guys. You've blessed us. I want to bless you on your way out. Stay six feet away from me. Um, but seriously, we, we want to, yeah, you got COVID in your house. Y'all remember what he said. Uh, but we want to bless you. And Richard, I'm going to ask you to stand, if you will, and and before we're gone, we'd like to do something uh, for the folks that we love that come and bless us. We just stretch our hands out and pray a blessing on you and your ministry. And I want to tell you something. We all, all of us in ministry right now have challenges that we're kind of making things up. We're having to ask God every day to give us wisdom because we're walking a road as ministry leaders that none of us have ever walked. But God is good, and he continues to give us all insight. And they need it. We need it. Their ministry has been so used of God across the country, 
And we want God to continue that. And so I want us, before we go, I want us to bless them. And then after I pray, you are dismissed from the back, go, go, uh, dismissed from the back forward, if you will. Remember, by the way, another way to bless them is through your generous gift. The baskets are along the walls back there. You'll just drop those gifts in, and that'll help to bless their work and their ministry. But if you will, just hold your hand out toward them, and I want to lead a uh, prayer uh, for their uh, ministry. Father, thank you. For Phil and for Debbie, I thank you for their friendship of these many years, Lord. I thank you for their ministry. And I pray, God, that your favor will rest upon them. I pray, God, that you'll travel with them tomorrow when they head home. I pray, Father, that uh, you will bless their conference ministry. I pray, Father, that you will provide for their every need. I pray, Father, for their staff and their team of workers that you will protect them. God, would you cover their ministry? Would you cover their uh, office? Would you cover the work that they do with your blood? Would you surround them with your angels? And God, would you fill them up with your Holy Spirit? Now send them out in your love and your grace. And may grace and mercy follow them all the days of their life and ministry. For we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.